From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Simone Simaluka-Radzins and Kristen Yoder. Episode 16, Trump and Cannabis. We are recording a political episode this week. Though we feel that it is rarely a good idea to discuss politics in a business environment, this is especially relevant to the cannabis industry on both a federal and a state level. Yeah, I mean... I don't even know where to begin this episode. Kristen and I decided to do this very last minute. We were thinking we were going to do something about business. We've got two other, you know, people that we're interviewing. But this week has been especially important for the cannabis community. And what we're going to do today is we're going to break it down into really, you know, the new administration's view on cannabis, which they've released this week, which you'll be listening to next week. So the week week of February um, 23rd. And then we're going to talk about a few other alarming factors that have happened to this new administration. As Kristen mentioned, we do not like to involve politics and business, but unfortunately, this is just going to have to happen. So what we're going to read right now is a transcript from um, Sean Spicer, who we are now calling Spicy, um, that he mentioned yesterday at a press uh, press conference on February 23rd. And, and before we start, close your eyes. Imagine Melissa McCarthy (laughs) on SNL, dressed up as Spicer. Go. Okay, so it starts with a reporter, and she starts asking a question on medical marijuana. And this is where I'm going to be talking like her. Our state voters passed a medical marijuana amendment in November. Now we're in conflict with federal law, as many other states are. The Obama administration kind of chose not to strictly enforce those federal marijuana laws. My question to you is, with Jeff Sessions over at the Department of Justice as AG, what's going to be the Trump administration's position on marijuana legalization where it's in a state-federal conflict like this? Mr. Spicy, (laughs) there's two distinct issues here, medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. I think medical marijuana. I've said before that the president understands the pain and suffering that many people go through who are facing especially terminal diseases and the comfort that some of these drugs, including medical marijuana, can bring to them. And that's one that Congress, through a writer in 2014, looked for a little help. I think put in an appropriations bill saying the Department of Justice wouldn't be funded to go after those folks. There is a big difference between that and recreational marijuana. And I think that when you see something like the opiate addiction crisis blossoming in so many states around this country, the last thing we should be doing is encouraging people. There's still a federal law that we need to abide by in terms of the medical when it comes to recreational marijuana and other drugs of that nature. So I think there's a big difference between medical marijuana, which states have a The states where it's allowed, in accordance with the appropriations writer, have set forth a process to administer and regulate that usage versus recreational marijuana. That's a very, very different subject. So then the reporter then asks, so what does that mean in terms of policy? A follow-up, Sean. What does that mean in terms of policy? And Mr. Spicer, and you should read this, we'll link it into the show notes, goes on to criticize her, yelling at her, telling her that she's like this crazy TV reporter, and then goes on to answer, well, I think that's a question for the Department of Justice. I do believe that you'll see greater enforcement of it. Because again, there's a big difference between the medical use, which Congress has through an appropriations writer in 2014, made very clear that their intent was in terms of how the Department of Justice would handle that issue. That's very different than 
in the recreational use, which is something the Department of Justice, I think, will be looking further into. But I think the Department of Justice is the lead on that. Is it something is it something that you should follow up with them? But I believe that they are going to continue to enforce the laws on the books with respect to recreational marijuana. And so that's all that we're going to read. And because we're just going to lose our minds if we continue to read. And, and honestly, then he talks about Russia and he talks about yeah, all, these all this other, other stuff that yeah. doesn't yeah that doesn't really matter. But I mean, this is a direct thing that for me has when I read that I remember reading writing a blog post right when he was elected of what it could be and I'm I'm a bit shocked and even on Calagia my other company somebody asked to get removed from our network and I asked them why and he said because of the news so this is something that's directly impacting a lot of people it's definitely setting in a lot of fear and I mean, for myself, I'm always thinking about the solution, but it's frightening. And for me, I'm cynical. I never felt safe the minute Trump got elected. Um, I think his actions have spoken louder than his words, even though his words have been very loud. Uh, And for what kind of business person are you to go after the Mm -hmm. largest cash crop in the country, you know, and... Just the the balls on this guy is <laughs> it blows me away and yet it doesn't at the same time. And being from California, being in the cannabis industry for eleven years, my dispensary got raided the day Eric Holder was attorney general. So that was right before um Obama had said they're not going to give any money to the DEA to go in against states' rights. And they came in, and it was a smashing grab. They put me in handcuffs. I sat there for three hours just talking smack, basically. I mean, they even tried to recruit me at the end of it, <laughs> um, of course. But in the end, it's it's just a way for them to make money and, you know, to flex their muscle. And it's so counterintuitive to the businessman yeah. mentality. And also even what Trump said, you know, about letting states act as themselves. And I think that critics or people who have done analysis on this have said, well, you know, that's Spicer speaking, Mr. Spicy, and not the administration. But that's a true voice for the administration. Yeah, he he is the press secretary of the president. 100%. And just to show, like, how stupid this guy is, to, to compare opioid use to recreational cannabis. Like, oh, we don't want to encourage people to smoke marijuana. First of all, it's cannabis, dude. It's yes, not marijuana. It's cannabis. Like, do you spell that with an H as well? Like, <laughs> what what year is this? I feel like we're in the 1930s or something. And, I mean, there's been all these studies coming out that says that cannabis actually curbs opioid addiction. Yeah. And you're like, hey, these people are all on drugs. Let's take away a safe option because these people are all on drugs. Drugs that the federal government gave permission to hand out to everybody. I mean, what are you... I mean, it's just really frightening. I mean, everyone that's probably listening already knows the history of the United States. There's a patent. The U.S. government has a patent on cannabinoids. And, I mean, it's just very insane. But, yeah, there's also... So, just for those people who might not know how we are getting protected, what he was referencing, he said 2011, he said 2014 about this appropriations, right? And that's the FAR, Rora Brackham memo, and then the Cole memo. So, Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, Sessions has the ability to definitely reverse all that stuff. 
And I guess the biggest thing is medical versus adult use. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And and I was speaking to someone in Colorado who was a part of one of the first dispensaries in Colorado. And he was saying that he thinks that California is going to be most at risk for enforcement. And as I was talking to Simone about it, Mm -hmm. she made a really good point. We still have medical cannabis, unlike Washington and Oregon, kind of, and Colorado, Mm -hmm. where they started out with medical, they bring in recreational, and then they're like, why would we keep medical? Let's just put them together. Yeah. Well, medical is protected. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that is the point is, and so, I mean, we know 100% uh, uh, the medical program is phased out for Washington, Oregon. Yep. Like I was just up there last week. It seems like it's going to be phased out. I'm mm-hmm. curious because like now the dispensaries are like really moving over to be under the OLCC. Yeah. You can't be OHA and OLCC. Yeah. So that seems like, who? I mean, maybe now that will be changed because we have to be nimble with our own regulations. And then California, which is so interesting and what I want to focus on now is so everybody, all of our clients are like, well, what's going on before this all came out? And Really, the medical program, so MCRSA and the adult use program, Prop 64, which we, you know, passed in November, essentially those are supposed to be slated out to happen at the same time, which is January 1st of 2018, right? We still don't know about licensing yet on the local level, and we still don't even have the regulations. But it seems that the state of California could have an opportunity to really not go, I mean, really focus on MCRSA, now, well, especially or award more licenses. Well, if you look at the news, it's all about California is not going to have it together in time. California right? doesn't know how to collect the taxes, et cetera, et cetera. And I will say right now, like I've never been for Prop sixty four. To me, that was a way for investors and capitalists to come into California and cash in on our cannabis market and to get rid of Prop two fifteen. And you can disagree with me. You know, that's your own prerogative, but just watch. Like, in two years, you know, listen to this podcast again. I'm going to be right, and I know it. We have MCRSA. We didn't need Prop 64 to to take care of all of the regulations that we need to get testing and quality standards. That was under MCRSA. Yeah. But everyone fell for Prop 64 and legalization and Mm -hmm. whatever, and that could be the downfall. Because recreational is not acceptable by this government. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I was for it. And talking to you, I understand all of, you know, the reasons why Prop 215 and the medical patients' rights and, you know, the access to medicine going away. And I think that that is a problem for sure. But for me, the whole point is this is a global market. This is a global industry and a community. And if California had passed, my assumption or hypothesis – prior to knowing this information that we realized this week, was that California could be the tipping point to ending federal prohibition. Yeah, that's what that's, they said. Right? And Great oh, clearly, pitch, DPA. Thank you so much for telling people that. Because is that really the case now? Really? Is California the tipping point? Well, no, I think Trump is the tipping point. Or the re- or the regression point, almost. Oh, yeah, the tipping point to regression. Yep, yep, exactly. So I know now people are probably freaked out, and people look to us as not to be freaked out because we're trying to, pri- like, to provide these business solutions and all of that. And 
I'm more of the positive one. You're more yeah, of the she cynic. Is. <laughs> totally. That's why we're such good partners. I'm the dark. She's the light. And in the middle, we're like we're the gray of, area. Yeah, <laughs> we're the gray area. Yeah. But so okay, as a business owner, like what do you, what are we gonna do? I mean, ourselves included, we're at risk, right? Anybody really dealing in this adult use market, which we already know, Oregon collected about sixty million of taxes from the adult use market in 2016. Colorado's thriving. Washington eliminate, eliminated. Um, medical. So if somebody's listening to this as an adult use business owner or consultants like ourselves working with, you know, cannabis operators in those markets, what do we do? And this is really when you want to ensure that you've, you know, made a plan, a financial plan of how you're protecting your assets. If you have, you know, heavy assets and you've invested, you know, significantly in property and plants uh, and all of that, you know, how are you protecting those? And I think, banking, cash management, it seems like it's going to be more of a state-by-state solution, really probably with credit unions. Well, well, first of all, the credit unions have to not be totally afraid of being a participant in money laundering because that's what it is until it's federally acceptable. But I think before we even get into that, um, I think it was the governor of Washington came Mm -hmm. out and said, like, no, you are not going to mess with our taxes from mm-hmm. cannabis. Like, oh. we are going to fight this. And California had just released also uh, HB 1578. Let me make sure. Mm. Yeah, no, Assembly Bill 1578, which would prohibit California state and local agencies from taking certain actions and assisting federal agencies in enforcing federal law against marijuana businesses for medical or recreational cannabis activities authorized under California law. Yep, so I think, I mean, that's huge. It's states versus the Fed, and it always has been, except now we have a crazy president who does not care about anything anything that has already been put in place to to work with the states mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though he said that he believes in states rights yeah no i mean it's absolutely true and i guess that is the hope is that our states are really going to be fighting for this but again you know, I would really suggest just pre- like protecting assets because I mean, there's been very, I forget where it was, and I'll link it into the show notes because I can't remember off the top of my head. But Trump and asset forfeiture is a thing, and I just want to let you guys know. I wanted to like kind of read it out. Like, what is asset forfeiture? So there's two basic forms of asset forfeiture. It's civil and criminal, and both of these enable the government to seize property or money that's been used to commit a crime or that is acquired through criminal activity. So criminal asset forfeiture is carried out based on charges pressed against defendants in criminal court. So in that context, the government must satisfy all the due process and evidentiary rules that apply to all uh, criminal trials, including the presumption of innocence until, you know, guilty until proven innocent. So honestly, this is really where you have to strategize and ensure that, I mean, that you're not true, like that you are having multiple entities protecting your assets and not, I mean, from your raid, do you have any tips? So... Back in the day when we got raided, be it the DEA or local enforcement, more the DEA, though, it was a smashing grab. Yeah. I was the only one there. They put handcuffs on me, but they made clear that I was not under arrest. And fortunately, I was the only one there, so there were no guns or anything. But when they left, 
they let me go, and I received a receipt at my apartment because I was the <laughs> only one there that I had to sign for from the DOJ with a receipt of seizure mm. that was grossly underestimated on what they actually took. And that was it. I mean, granted, I am in the DOJ database as a dispensary manager now mm-hmm. forever, mm-hmm. but they didn't do anything because we didn't do anything. They're, the reason they came in, they said, was cannabis is against the federal law. Mm-hmm. It's a federally illegal Schedule One drug. That was their reason. And look, no one's going to fight the DEA. Like, hey, man, give us our stuff back. We're just glad we didn't get arrested. Yeah. Because when you go to a federal court, you don't even get to say medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's changed, but it wasn't the case back then. There oh, really? Is no, no, because it's not a Schedule II drug. Oh, she came So it medical. doesn't have any medical use. Hmm. So, the irony then. Yeah, when you go to a federal court, you don't have a defense. Mm-hmm. You're automatically a drug dealer, which is just so funny because they made a tax code for IRC drug 20. trafficking. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if you are a drug trafficker, make sure you pay your taxes, but you're not allowed to have a bank account. <laughs> to even uh, submit it. And finally, the IRS like allows them for cash deposits. Yeah, but where? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I'm thinking before we move on to our next thing is yeah. these are some things. So you you need to know the coal memo. Make sure that you've got policies and procedures that outline, you know, how you are complying with the coal memo. Clearly, if you are in an adult use market, you know, you are doing seed to sale tracking, but really ensure that you have, you know, documented procedures on that. Regarding asset forfeiture, talk to your lawyers, talk to your CPAs and your financial advisors on the most appropriate structure that you can do. But I would say, I mean, we just heard how Kristen's raid went. And if it's a smash and grab, you probably don't want to have as many valuable assets on site, right? So being compliant with the law, but seeing if, you know, you can have alternate addresses or if you are operating all in cash, ensuring that you know, all that cash is in at one spot. Um, I've never myself been in the smash and grab, but I think we even talked about this on another, on our first episode together. Um, those are some tips. I would really suggest really talking to your lawyer though about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, we read this yesterday and we just couldn't believe it. I mean, I think I'd been waiting to hear something and just being fingers crossed that it wouldn't be anything. No news is good news. I mean, even at that conference in Portland last week, Aaron Smith was there and he was like, I don't know if he said it or, um, or somebody else said it, but they were like, no news is good news. And yes, that is true. Um, Well, uh, considering now only like three news outlets are allowed to report the news or to receive the news at the White House. Right. I mean... Okay, so these... So we're going to talk about... Okay, yeah, we got to move on from this subject. We said what we had to say, but there's so much more. Well, there's so much more. And before we tell you more of that, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Are you having problems in your business? If you need help with people management, organizational management, or process improvement, contact us today at info at liv-consulting.com for a free consult. So uh, before we move on to other topics, I just wanted to read what the Congressional Cannabis Caucus response to the White House statement on marijuana policy was. They said, 
Today's statement by White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer regarding marijuana policy reaffirms the need for the Congressional Cannabis Caucus. Last November, eight more states passed measures to increase access to state legal cannabis, and today more than 300 million Americans live in states with access to adult-use marijuana or some form of medical cannabis. Among them are four additional states that have fully legalized the adult use of marijuana. We hope today's comments do not reflect the views of the president and his administration. As co-chairs of the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, we started ready to educate this administration on the need for more sensible marijuana policies and share the many experiences states have had with the legalization of cannabis. Together, we will continue to work in a bipartisan manner to reform our failed marijuana policies and provide a voice for Americans who have overwhelmingly voted for a more sensible drug policy. I really hope so, but it doesn't seem like Trump listens to anybody before he does anything, so... No, but you need... I forgot to mention this. I mean, you need to lobby. You need to have the voice. I mean, like, we gave you some advice. We're fear-struck, and we're talking about this, right? We're trying to make a move. We're trying to get involved. We're members of NCIA. I went to lobby last year. I feel like now, if even more, we need to lobby it's we, like we have to come together. It's like Vietnam. Look, don't let it get to the point where mm-hmm. we're like, you know, just rioting in the... St- I mean, I, it's already at that point, you know? Let it be more effective then. This is not the time to back down. Yeah. This is not the time to get scared. This is the time to get pissed off and to stand up for what we have been fighting for. What millions of people have been fighting for. 100%. Cannabis is not the enemy. The president is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely true. You know, it is. It is. And so we have our Facebook group, Cannabis Business Minds. Like, we want to hear from you. We want to see how this is affecting you and what you're doing. And we really need to come together. I mean, that's why I created Calagia. Like, we really need to be coming together and really having one voice. And so we have organizations that are doing that. But we would really love to hear from you because it's something that. God, I never thought, I didn't, I never have cared about politics in my entire life. And since a year ago, my friends and I at our dinner parties would just laugh about this Trump guy. And then he somehow beat all the Republicans in the primaries. And we would laugh about that. And then somehow he won. And then we were not laughing anymore. And so (laughs) everything that we hear, I mean, we need to be reacting to it and you know, we might feel helpless by ourselves, but there's power in numbers and a shared vision to accomplish this. And perhaps it's going to go to the fact that states really are going to be much stronger. Yeah, this, we have our governors behind us. Mm-hmm. This isn't stoners getting together. This isn't like a hippie freedom march. This is states and tax revenue. And don't mess with and our money. Rights. Yes, people's rights it's people's too. rights. I mean, the people have spoken exactly. in we all voted. of these states. We like, voted. Just like he got voted president, we voted for these rights. Who is he to take them away from us? Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to transition on to the next two topics. I'm going to let Kristen speak about it. I'm about to introduce it. So, you know, this might go hand in hand. We talked about asset forfeiture. If the federal government is going to be going after cannabis businesses, it seems like that's really going to take them down. We didn't talk about jail, right? And one of the pros, I think, about Prop 64 was the reduction of jail time, misdemeanors, you know, aren't felonies anymore, right? And so one of the things that was announced was it this week they announced it 
Yeah, so there was the Yates memo that, I believe it was the Yates memo, that mm-hmm. Obama was going to shut down private prison institutions because they're terrible. Pla- they're terrible for humanity. They're not, they're for-profit prison. Like It's like human legal slavery. slavery. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. But now, Sean Spicer is saying, hey, you know, all these illegal immigrants, there's no room to put them in the federal prisons. So they... They reversed it. Yep. And now all the private prison stocks have just hit the roof. Yep. And it's like, and a lot oh my of God, it, you know, I really hope that's got nothing to do with the cannabis industry. I think it has a ton to do with immigration about what's what could be on the horizon, which is, again, if you are for it or against it, whatever, if you need to make a decision to try to stop this, please get involved with whatever whatever local community you can. But this is alarming, right? So we, I mean, we just want to give you information. We don't want to alter it, and we're going to give you our opinions on it. But it's something to be known that, you know, private prisons... Basically, there's a fantastic doc. There's no human rights. There's no human rights, and the minimum sentencing and all of that kind of stuff, it's a lot based off of this war on drugs. So that's my fear, coupled with this immigration issue. I think the most alarming thing which brought us to really decide to do this podcast today was um, what we read today. And so we, we are hearing all about fake news. Fake news. But right now, I'm afraid that fake news is going to be turning into no news. And so today, uh, which is February 24th, 2017, uh, the press secretary barred three major news organizations from listening in on a conference. And only reporters from selected news organizations, such as Breitbart News, the One America News Network, and the Washington Times, which are all very extremely conservative. Breitbart? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Breitbart. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my God. Were the, they were the only ones allowed in there. And if you... I, well, it's hard to even... Say? Yeah, like, what, what, do you, what do you even say to that? Thank God for podcasts. <laughs> Seriously. Well... I mean, really. But, yes, I mean, that... What? But we don't even know what's happening. And so... And so, what you what were you pointing out today before when we were planning this podcast? That this is similar to what? This... this it has a similarity to Nixon, and it has a similarity to me. It's It almost rings of McCarthyism, where you have this paranoia that everyone is against you, and that we have to get together and, like, find all these people or, like, block all these people from from speaking what they have to do because mm-hmm. it's against what the government says. If it's not what the government says, then it's false. It's fake. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. What year is it? Yeah, it's it feels what's like that, 1984. Yeah, my god, what's that <laughs> that phrase? Like if you don't remember your history, it will repeat itself. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? I mean, so we just want to inform everybody about what's happening here. I mean, it's very important that you make educated decisions and that you source the information that you're getting. We will link directly to transcripts that were that we quoted and all these facts that we quoted. And the fact that we are getting limited to news um, and that our news organizations that, you know, we're talking about First Amendment rights. We're talking about things that brought us to the point 
where we are in this country to brought us to the fact that entrepreneurs could exist to brought us to the fact that we felt that we were like one a free society and one of the leading societies in the free world and i you know working internationally and clear, whatever working internationally living internationally living in los angeles working in los angeles i am afraid and i'm i'm pretty sure that most of the people that i'm associated with are too. Yeah, we are. Um, we were just talking about her friend that is a psychiatrist that <laughs> now 50% yeah. of his client's time is spent talking about politics. And wow, that's so believable because <laughs> my heart races when I look at the news now. Yeah. And I don't want to look at the news because my heart races. But if I don't look at the news, I don't want to be complacent because complacency has got us where we are now. Yes, exactly. So f- before we wrap up, really, I want to emphasize a few things and Kristen, I'll hand it over to you. Do not stop. If you are afraid, if you want to make change, please get involved. If you want to get involved in our podcast community and figure out how we can do something together, we'd be happy to do that. There are other organizations that really are working for us on a political national level, such as the NCIA, right? And then also the MPP. MPP. and what was the one, Asa, the caucus? Uh, the Congressional Cannabis Caucus. Right? So there's definitely ones. We'll do the research. We'll put these in our show notes on our website. So we'll definitely do that. But regards to these other aspects that we've mentioned related to privatization of prisons, related to this concept of no news if it's not what... If it doesn't agree right? with the president. We haven't talked about immigration. Whatever you are getting upset about, talking about it is one thing, but you have to make action. So please get involved and figure out how you can make a difference because without you doing that, what's going to happen? There, You might feel that your voice doesn't matter, but your voice with my voice, with Kristen's voice, with the people's voices that are listening is how evolutions, revolutions happen, right? We have control if we can do something together. So please, please get involved. Yes, absolutely. And I was, I'm like, I love puns. I know they're stupid (laughs) and I can be really cheesy sometimes. It might be surprising to you, but um, I was just joking around with Simone and I'm like, (laughs) dude, when things go wrong, hit the bong and (laughs) remember to stay strong, especially in a state where you can't hit the bong legally, like, hit it, man. Hit it and stay strong and keep going at it because we're not giving up and neither should you. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Simone Samaluka Radsons and Kristen Yoder. Produced and edited by Gustavo Bogach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.